there's so much trauma across all different minority groups and marginalized groups, yeah. women, LGBTQ, yeah. ableism, like mm -hmm. indigenous. Yes, that yeah. everybody, but to discount like people of color, people yeah. in the other people in the margins, that is not helping. Yeah. And to me, that definitely woke me up when I was mm. like, oh, so you think they're not in the margins? Because you think I'm mm -hmm. not in the margins. Because I actually just got a death threat and you say that I don't even know anything yeah. about oppression. So yeah. what does that actually mean for people who don't have a voice, who mm -hmm. don't feel like somebody's fighting for them and mm -hmm. feel in many cases, my dad, he actually said this because I didn't even know he felt this way. He felt hopeless. You're listening to The Big Asian Energy Show, where every week we interview Asian experts, move makers, and ceiling breakers to uncover their secrets to success so we can help you reach your greatest potential. I'm your host, John Wang. Let's dive in. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I am interviewing Andrew Chow who you might know as one of the co-founders of Boba Guys, which is one of the largest and original bubble tea chains in the US. Andrew is a serial entrepreneur who also founded Tea People, Vengeance Media, Flipside Studio, and he's a board member of the Daily Californian, as well as the National Ace. He's given TED Talks and writes for the Huffington Post, not to mention his own book, appropriately titled The Boba Book. And this guy is a massive Asian American advocate, not to mention a community leader with ties and connections to pretty much anyone you can imagine who is big in the Asian American community. So on the show today, we do a deep dive talk about his journey to truly embodying the confidence of big Asian energy leadership, not to mention his own upbringing as being one of the only kids in a small New Jersey town who is Asian and how that gave him the background and confidence to later on run companies with hundreds of employees. He also talks about his early days with icons like Simu Liu before he became an Avenger. And we also chat about how classic Hong Kong films like The Young and the Dangerous ended up kind of helping us define the Asian superpower of grit and community. I'm excited to dive in. So I am so stoked to have you here, Andrew, actually, because when we first started messaging each other, I discovered I was not the first person ever to think of big Asian energy and thinking of combining big dick energy with Asians. So <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or, yeah. But actually, for mine, like it came out with a chat with a buddy of mine, Peter Shallard. We were on a camping trip, but it turned out you guys, like you and Simu Liu had this thing. Tell me about that. All right. This is not a name drop at all, but well, I'm name dropping when, when we it were talking. You brought it up. So I'll tell you. I, first of all, I'm an entrepreneur. So entrepreneurs do never think anybody's invented anything because everybody's no. just a hash of other people's ideas, right? So I just want to get that out of the way. But when you reached out, funny enough, I've used this term and there's a hashtag that you can go back until 1819. So yeah. the hashtag was existed. And what happened was, I don't even know because I don't want to sound like, but I think on the internet, people know that because I'm based out of California. So for Asian Americans across the country, we know a lot of the content and the culture comes out of California, which is good and bad. I know it's very California centric. And I know that my New Yorker friends are like, oh, you think California Asians are all the ones who make the content and the culture, but you forget about the Chicago and the Houston's and, and all the Seattle. It was right after Crazy Rich Asians. And we were thought of thinking about what's next for the movement for representation, for role mm -hmm. models and everything. And at the time, Simu had yet to land. I don't think he had landed Marvel yet. And I know this I think I remember him mentioning he might want to be the Marvel superhero. Oh, man. <laughs> but as much as I could say, people know, you can tell, the kids say the Riz, but he's a very charismatic dude. And he's got this energy that sometimes like commands a room. Yeah. And he's a very confident guy. Yeah. And so he was like, he could own it. And so mm. that's why in his roles, he has a little bit of that alpha energy, not in a negative way. He's like an alpha minus. Like he's not always- mm. like a dominating. No. He's not like trying to get everyone's attention. I feel like there's a quiet confidence about the guy sometimes when he like walks in, like there's a vibe. He plays guitars and likes to serenade people. So. <laughs> he just came out with a new music video, right? He did. Oh, yeah. When he hit the yeah, I yeah, called, yeah. told him. I'm like, don't sing, Simu. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I think we were playing in LA, just hanging out. And then I think there was this idea that we were saying, we need to have that energy, but it's a specific Asian brand. It's like an energy yeah. that's confident. Hey, we started mm -hmm. these startups. Yeah. We created mm -hmm. these platforms that everybody used. Mm -hmm. Crazy Rich Asians blew up. But mm -hmm. it's not like the bro energy, like the overly aggressive energy. 
but it's mm-hmm. a very confident energy. And then we're like, oh, that's like big Asian energy. It's like, mm-hmm. babe, oh yeah, I like that big Asian energy. And so we started using that in like the LA. And so there was like a conference that people were at. And then I think Ludi Lin also shouts to Ludi. He was Mortal Kombat and he used it in his talk. So there mm-hmm. was these different moments in terms of at the time, Asian American males, especially Ludi, yeah. I think he had just come off of a Black Mirror big episode. And then Simu was coming off of Kim's Convenience about to be Shang-Chi. Mm-hmm. So there was this energy that's, hey, they're confident. They're going to be mm-hmm. these protagonists well, that people are rooting for, but it's not mm-hmm. overly aggressive. It's not what we think of as like big dick energy, right? So they started using this hashtag big Asian energy so much that I think if I remember correctly, Simu used it in his book. So one of the chapter titles in his book itself mm-hmm. is big Asian energy. So this is not to say that there's a first or whatever. This is to say, hey, there's something in the zeitgeist that's, hey, mm-hmm. a movement's coming in mm-hmm. which people organically, like yourself, there's a need for this newer energy that mm-hmm. is more nuanced, which is, mm-hmm. hey, I'm confident. I know who I am, but I'm not here to take over. But I know like we are the future kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that's the energy that hopefully we get across in this episode in the podcast. I think people, there's all these rumors of what I sound like or who all the people we talked about are, but I am confident, but I like to say it's like, I am who I am, but I'm yeah. not trying to force people to be like, follow me. Yeah. I don't think you come across, oh, this is the best podcast for Asian America. Or, oh, like, damn. Now I have to change my entire tagline. Biggest no, podcast in Asian America? Yeah, the, the biggest podcast in the world. No, obviously not. I love that explanation. And I think you're absolutely right. There is this thing in the zeitgeist that yeah. I feel like when we started talking about it, it clicked for me immediately. And I've been like chewing on that because I think that historically there has been a depiction of Asian Americans as being kind of like shy or like the smart nerdy kids, but not that we're the sidekicks. The sidekicks of Spider-Man were the spy sidekicks to the Indiana Jones and that kind of vibe. Yeah. So this is always a question, which is what is big Asian energy mean to you? What is that confidence and how does that differ from Western Correct. Good question. I like that you branded Western and BDE. Let's continue to put that association together. (laughs) It creates good positioning. (laughs) I think back in the day, I don't know if you grew up or people listening, when they grew up, I grew up in a time where the people in dominant media and cultural forms in America, at least Western Mm -hmm. media, was like Wall Street, was the Gordon Gecko, was this alpha energy. And it's very, I own the room. Do you know who I am? And I think you have to be outspoken. You have to like command a certain presence. Whereas I feel like Asian energy just doesn't really have that kind of same thing. Asians, I will say, acknowledge that there's a little bit of the patriarchal energy in Asian culture. And I think that's not great, but the energy is more, let me show you through soft power, which is something use that. Yeah. Let me show you by being a little bit more nuanced, a lot of more like harmony based, a lot yeah. of Confucianism is in there, which is the yeah. kind of like the balancing both the yin and the yang. So I feel like that is built into the Eastern philosophy, which then translates itself into the Asian leadership style. I'm a founder, but I'm a technically a CEO of four or 500 people in my ecosystem. And my CEO style, I know doesn't sound generally like a normal CEO. Like, what, What's your CEO style? I don't think I'm that emotional, but supposedly I'm more emo than most CEOs. I think I'm a little bit more intellectual and nuanced mm-hmm. than most CEOs. So I just think it's insulting to think people are don't understand the concept. So you dumb it down. Mm-hmm. I generally tell our team, well, here's how we make money. Here's how we lose money. Here's mm-hmm. why I can't do X. And it gets me in trouble. It has gotten me trouble where I try to say something that's more nuanced and somebody Mm -hmm. makes it and be like, they don't care. Andrew lives in his fancy house. And I'm like, no, I don't. People don't know anything about my background and they project. But I think Mm -hmm. what they're doing, sadly, is projecting like a Western, like stereotypical Mm -hmm. white CEO, Mm -hmm. which I could see why. You think all CEOs Mm -hmm. are the same, but this white adjacent, which is basically what they're saying. I'm like, no, you got the wrong model minority myth thing going on Mm -hmm. here. Whereas Mm -hmm. I built this company kind of using immigrant kind of hustle. People know like for me, the way I run the company, a lot of it is servant leadership because mm. acts one of the big love languages in Asian American kind of culture, mm. Asian culture in general across yeah. the diaspora is servant service. Is yeah, service. it's like my mom. She doesn't know how to say I love you if her life oh, depended no, she on say it, I love you, but I'll, I'll cook rice and fold your clothes for you. Yeah, exactly. She'll send me home with more food than entire villages can finish. Exactly. But that's Put love. on a jacket. Down to criticizing me. That's her way of showing love. It's just, why didn't you do better on this project? When you did that video launch, man, you could have done better. And I'm like, uh, I, I know, I right? love you too. Well, can I ask, is she proud of that you are speaking kind of the voice of her culture? I think she is. I didn't tell actually. My sister told my parents about my book deal. Apparently they were really shocked by it. And they were like, what? They, but they never told me. Like my dad will never outright show it to me, but he'll show it to my sister. And then my sister does the work of coming around. So like we have this weird triangulation sometimes where we'll pass a word to each other. Do you have siblings? Yeah, same. My sister, <laughs> I'm really close with. Sometimes I'm like, I tell her, 
her something that, why don't you just tell mom and dad? And I'm like, because that's not how communication works in this family. <laughs> we triangulate. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. And so what was your upbringing like? My upbringing was, I'm very Americana. I think we'll talk probably about this later. I see myself, I don't think I'm a third culture kid. I think I'm like a both huh. culture kid. So I was very Asian and very American. So my very American experience was I grew up in New Jersey. I grew up in Woodbridge, New Jersey. Shouts to the township of Woodbridge. It's like, cool. there's a movie back then called Sandlot. It's like a very Sandlot movie mm. where I used to play kickball on the streets when the car would come. Everybody like, car's coming. Oh my God. In my mind, I'm picturing like this in sepia tone and yeah, like, it is a little angle. bad, you know, <laughs> like little rascals, yeah. with your shoelaces untied. I like, can't even make this up. Some of my friends I still keep in touch with where I used to knock one of my best friends to this day. I still talk to him, George Askins. So I'd knock on his door and open, there's no locks. So yeah. I'd be like, Hey, is Georgie home? And they're like, no, Georgie's down the street at Greg's. And I'd be oh, like, yeah. oh, I ride my bike over to Greg's place. So it was yeah. like, where are the bicycles? Where are the bicycles and which lawn yeah. are? Yeah. And that's when you knew whose house everybody was at. Yeah. Playing like Super Nintendo and the SpaghettiOs and stuff. So oh, I had a very traditionally Americana experience. Most of your friends were white? Yeah. We're the Asian restaurant in town. My parents had a restaurant called Hunan Palace. And my sister and I were the only Asian people in town. Wow. There's pictures of this. You could see the class photos. And so my crushes were like this white girl, Emily Neidhart, which I tried to figure out if I could find her on Facebook. <laughs> Emily, what are you doing now? So that was it. And then it was Italians, yeah. primarily Italian, Eastern European, and Jewish. And I played baseball. I was a pretty good baseball player. And so I did that until middle school and I moved to yeah. California in middle school. Why'd your parents there, move you there? I'm assuming yeah. that they decided and not you. Why'd your parents move there? If you really want the deep cut is I have, it's not really part of my Asian identity, but I have a rheumatoid arthritis and the climate is really bad there because of the humidity and oh, shoot. the best doctor. I don't think I've ever said this on a podcast, I just realized, but you just said it so organically that I just felt like I could share. The best doctor that studies at the time, JRA, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis is Dr. Emery from UCSF. And so I was pretty serious. The liver was failing from jaundice oh, and I, get, I had yellow eyes with like one of the signs. And so it got so bad they took me off medication, but there was no other medication to keep me from the pain because I was inflaming. My joints were always swelling and I couldn't sleep. So they basically said climate was a big part of the issue because of the mm. barometric pressure. And so they moved me to California, which the climate's a little bit more, less humidity out here. And then I started a new life. Found, I was like, oh, there's Asians. <laughs> People who look like me. What? People who look like me. We were like, they talk about Asian stuff all the time. They eat Asian yeah. food all the yeah. time. Yeah. Even then, because this is, I don't know where we want to go with this, because this is going to be such an organic conversation. Yeah. But yeah. my parents, because when we were in New Jersey, I had cousins a couple towns over, like my mom's brother lived in town or a couple towns, like 30 minutes over in Springfield, New Jersey. And so we would drive 25 minutes to Springfield. We would always do things together. And in my mom's family, we would only speak Mandarin primarily, right? Mm. And the kids would speak English, but we were speaking in Mandarin, everybody would yell at us. And mm. they're like, oh, die, no, I'm yeah. Because yeah. Asian easy. people, we don't talk to each other. We yell at each other. Yell at each other, yeah. yeah. So people yeah. Are like, which is so aggressive. Which is I'm so funny, right? Because this is such a contradiction to the idea of, I want to keep hearing the story, but such a contradiction to the idea of Asians being quiet and shy. I'm like, have you ever been inside an Asian household or gone to like dim sum place or to hang out with or Indian people at a market? Oh my God, yeah. You people don't even don't... let, you don't even hear a speech at the wedding. No, people are just screaming at each other. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of our wedding, I'm Taiwanese by birth. And uh -huh. I went to a Taiwanese friend's wedding. And I remember the best man got on stage to make a speech. Nobody could hear him. All you could hear <laughs> is like the parents' generation drinking. Nah. And I'm like, this wedding has nothing to do with the kids. Yeah. It's just Talk an excuse to gather and drink. Exactly. You're talking about sentimental feelings? No, <laughs> we're good. Give me that Hennessy. The Remy Hennessy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The XO. <laughs> so, Remy XO. Sparkling, yeah. but, but don't drink the sparkling apple cider. That's cheap. If we're going to be yeah. paying, we're going to have $500 a table. We have to actually drink all that <laughs> Remy that we pre-bought yeah. because the guys need that. And then otherwise, yeah. we call the weddings are like the fundraisers because you actually, it's decently cheap to pay, but the red envelopes, you got, you got Oh man, yeah. That's, that's why the bride and groom usually put up with it because you're yeah. like, man, if we do yeah. a Chinese banquet, no one's going to hear any of the bridal party, but we're going to make $200 a head. Oh, 100%. So, yeah. <laughs> the entrepreneurship mindset right here right yeah. guys welcome to the entrepreneur part of the podcast this is what we're here for how to develop big asian energy go get married and throw a red envelope party <laughs> that's how you fund your first startup yep that's your startup <laughs> capital your seed money is yeah. your fundraiser at the banquet yeah line dance will then get the margins up because that's it's relatively cheap because these are volunteers usually for the line stances but then it looks like it's more festive so people chip in more cash oh man because they're like oh i pay for a line dance 
dude i gotta write this down i just got engaged two weeks ago so i'm really like take yeah i didn't see that I think I just posted it like, like a second ago. Yeah. My partner's white. So I have to make sure to hold up my end of the bargain. By the well, way, what, hey, you know? reverse colonizing here. Go <laughs> reverse colonizer here. So is she, what kind of white? Is she Dutch? She's like Canadian, Canadian, small town Canadian, but okay. her family is Italian and Ukrainian. Oh. So like white. Oppressed whites a little bit. Yeah, they're like, yeah, Muslim that's Muslim, the Italians are like immigrant. No. North American Italians are immigrants, yeah. Yeah, they have the immigrant mindset for sure. Like her grandmother, who I met, literally lived in a little house on the prairie type cabin and walked two hours a day to go to school and come back. Like immigrant mindset for sure. I respect that. A guy, as I mentioned, grew up in Jersey. Yeah, a lot of my friends were Italians and people were like we got along because they were just immigrant kids the, the mm. parents actually spoke in very thick italian accent my friend gregory who was an actual real person is like mm. mom would be like yo andrew you eating you staying over for dinner we made spaghetti we made <laughs> yeah. ravioli you want to come and i was like yeah, i love ravioli yeah. versus chow mein that i'm having or not <laughs> probably making, my parents had a chinese restaurant so they wouldn't bring stuff like i speak cantonese and mandarin but the cantonese yeah. dish was like is ham you gotta tell fine oh and, yeah 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 oh, that's uh, so good so yeah. it's like a salt for those who are ABCs who don't speak any Chinese. I'm not judging yeah. you. Mandarin or Cantonese. Yeah. By the way, if you're listening, you don't speak any of them. You have to come on. At least know how to say your name and know how to swear. I think those two things are really yeah. important. Yeah. And account, count basic numbers. Yeah. Whether, yeah, Vietnamese, Koreans, <laughs> trying to be all East. Shouts out yeah, to all yeah, 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 yeah. Indian, yeah, all of them. You're going to criticize your parents' culture and say, I don't get it. And you want to make movies and write about them and shade them on, subtweet them. Then you got to know your parents' culture. Come on. You That's can't it. shade yeah. them and be like, but I don't speak any Mandarin. I'm like, well, yeah. you chance because very likely yeah. they tried to speak to you in their native tongue, but you percent. I think it's a superpower. So I want to come back to your story here because I'm really curious how you got your big agent energy because when people meet you, I think that the first thing I notice, for example, is one, you have a very welcoming vibe, like you're very oh, easygoing, thanks. you're a very welcoming vibe, like very friendly, but there is an unquestionable big agent energy about you. Like you're very confident. You're like, I got this shit. I'm leading. <laughs> and I'm guessing that's how you got, I mean, maybe this is a part of the story. That's how you got started with Bubba Guy and run these companies that have hundreds of people in them and command that level of, I don't know the word command is right, but certainly lead. I think that is such a superpower. And I think that has to come at the intersection of those two parts of like our Asian selves is that charisma and that charm and that connectivity, especially growing up, same story, right? Like us Asian Americans, so many of us, we learn to fit in everywhere. We become the chameleon, right? We yeah. become the chameleon and we just know how to fit in. You throw us into a party or a dim sum restaurant or a gala, we'll fit in. We'll find a way to fit in yeah generally it hasn't always been the case i'm sure and anybody listening would we didn't always fit in i said maybe in 2023 where we're in now mm. but yeah i didn't always it wasn't always the case I, first of all thanks for the compliment asians can't take compliments so i had to mm. learn how to be white and be like yeah i own that yes that thanks for the <laughs> that's but, part of the big asian energy is accepting <laughs> a compliment maybe the third time but like at yeah some point, accept it <laughs> yeah and otherwise it just gets awkward and you just spend that you waste your time going back and forth it's like fighting for the bill is the same kind of ping pong energy complimenting no, 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 it's you yeah but anyways to answer your question, to tie back to an earlier question is, I think it was, if it weren't for me trying to figure out and fight for who I was in New Jersey mm. and then not wanting to be passive, my parents did train me in a culture to be like, I did watch Asian movies growing up because my parents, back then, they had and phones. So you had to watch the media that your parents or your family did. So I grew up watching Chinese soap operas. And when I moved to California, there was a very well-known Hong Kong cinema movie, which is one of my favorites to this day, Gu Atai, which is- Oh, you know yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, yeah? I could hear okay. the music in the background. Oh, oh yeah. Man. King Kong. Oh, man. Oh, I went to a Chinese theater to watch every single one of them. Oh, all of them. Super tragic. And, oh, and man. Go watch. Get your Asian culture here. It is what so much of, like, you think Irish, Italian gangster movies are tough? Mm -hmm. No, you got to watch the Young and Dangerous Guaktai series. I think they're remaking more of them now. But the first three are so heavy. You cry, oh, you laugh, you think yeah. you're badass. But yeah. that made you maybe proud. My favorite character to this day in almost all of representation and media is Sangai, which is Jordan Chan's character. You remember him? He's the one. I don't think I'm the alpha. I don't think I'm like- Is, the, is he the long hair dude? No, that's Yi King Chung. That's right, the, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Hold on. That's the main protagonist. But his mm. best friend who kind of fights over the girl with and all that stuff. Oh, is, okay. Yeah. And in the first movie, he like leaves and because the guys have a falling out and they're mm. like this kind of brotherhood because they're like mm. this triad. And then he leaves and he comes back. I'm ruining the first movie, but I guess it's a 30-year-old movie. Yeah. He comes back and he brings his entourage from Taiwan. Mm -hmm. 
I'm going to come and we're going to take back these bad guys. They're all gangsters, but I'm going to take back these unethical bad guys. So <laughs> that, the way he comes back and he's like this kind of, it's not an alpha energy. It's actually like mm -hmm. a wild energy that you're like, yeah. I can't pin you down, but yeah. it's like, I know who I am and I'm loyal. Yeah. So Asian energy is I'm loyal. Don't fuck with me. Like I'm going to keep to myself unless you mm -hmm. fuck with me. And I got I got my crew with me because it's mm -hmm. collectivist. So That's I got right. We're a community. Yeah. And he comes back in this very iconic scene in the movie. That energy is what I carried throughout my entire life. Mm -hmm. And it's not an aggressive energy, but I call it like an apex predator, which mm -hmm. I think is sometimes a Western energy. I feel like I'm an apex protector. Like I'm going to smile mm -hmm. and be like, hey, I'm laughing. I smile a lot. I have a baby face, people say. But when you like really fuck with my team, mm -hmm. my community, well, then, you know, gloves are There's off. No hold like, back. I yeah. have been known to be like, no, just back the fuck up because you don't touch Asian elderly. That's like a soft spot for me because I grew up with my grandparents living with me. Of course. I used to be a code. You don't touch babies, women, yeah. and Asian yeah. elderly. And now yeah. people are messing with that. I'm like, what? Yeah. It's so that is like a sore spot. For sure. So anyways, that came out How? because I moved to mm -hmm. California and I was like, mm -hmm. wow, there's people who look like me and they look and feel like a load of the movies that mm -hmm. I grew up watching. So you found a community while you were in LA when you first moved. Yeah, San Francisco, Saturday. yeah. San Francisco. There was, because the I don't want to get too deep into this, but there were a lot of gangs actually in mm -hmm. San Francisco, which I had friends in those. And so I grew up pretty, I don't want to sound like humbling or self-effacing about it, but I didn't grow up with a lot of money. My parents yeah. didn't go to college. And so my dad had a failed restaurant in New Jersey, but mm -hmm. it was another reason why they moved was because the restaurant wasn't doing well. So my dad didn't have any corporates or education. Yeah. So he yeah. drove the Muni bus. So I grew up, my life was, a, I don't say on the streets, because I don't want to sound like, mm -hmm. oh, he's trying to act hard. But yes, if you know me, I grew up tangible examples where we couldn't afford babysitters in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. We were like restaurant brats. So we would mm -hmm. work at the restaurant Thursday and during the tour buses. So we would serve this restaurant while my dad was driving buses. It's like that 10-year-old Asian kid who was in every restaurant. Yeah, that was me. Ru sure. Running tables and doing math homework mm -hmm. afterwards. Yeah. I would wash dishes. I was shorter. I was tiny because I'm like a young, right? 10 years old. But I would spray the food bits on the dishwasher <laughs> thing, not thinking that it was like people germs on my face. I was like, oh, this is funny. It's sprinkling on my face. Peel string beans. I'm pretty good yeah. at wontons. And so I do that. And then I grew up in Fisherman's Wharf where my family restaurant, my mm -hmm. aunts and uncles and my dad had a family restaurant, but my dad basically didn't make enough money there. So he had to drive buses. But we were like the neighborhood kids where the community in Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco was like all these shopkeepers. So they were yeah. black, they were mm -hmm. Persian, they were like Latino. They were like, oh, and so you speak like people are like, oh, Chino, amigo. Like they would say like that. Yeah, yeah. And I would be like, Oh, and so people talk about racism a lot. I grew up, I would say, not seeing a lot of racism. There were like the mm. Chinatown, like Jackie Chan jokes, like Bruce Lee jokes, but it wasn't like... It's a different experience of what yeah. it is now. Yeah. And I think this is such an important story because I think exactly right now, you're a CEO, you run these companies, you're on the board of these things, you have books coming out. I think that there is a, oftentimes this foreigner view that I think a lot of people have of Asian Americans, especially who are well off. as like, oh yeah, you're like, you're taking your China money. But we don't realize that so many Asian American success stories really were these kind of stories. There were kids the that are, are the majority yeah. are absolutely, and that's actually what I'm trying to say is that like it's the laundromats, it's the small business. Like Asian American entrepreneurship has such a big history, and we don't think about it as entrepreneurship, but that was the only way they could survive. You're not going to get an accounting job at a top three firm in New York. No, like you went and you owned a tiny little stall at the Asian mall. And you started doing books for local businesses. Exactly. You had to do the books. You had to wash your clothes, not know how to file taxes because it's not in your language because back mm -hmm. then there was not many translation services. Mm -hmm. It was talking to the bank and you don't even know how to talk to the bank. Yeah. And, and they don't want to help you. They don't want to lend you money. It's big Asian energy because it's yeah. a confident energy because you yeah. have to survive. Yeah. 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 In many cases, you also had to leave and flee a war-torn country. If you're Vietnamese, yeah. Cambodian, yeah. shout to all the Southeast Asians, those are war-torn. My dad, communist China. So if you're leaving that, you're like, oh, this shit is crazy and America is going to be bad. I don't know any, I don't know the language, but it's not going to be as bad as where I'm leaving. Mm. That kind of energy is a big Asian energy. Listening and you're not even Asian. It's my team listening. If you're Latino, you're from Central America, you're from the Caribbean. Stop. That's mm -hmm. why we all kind of bond over this kind of sadly collective trauma. That's absolutely the right word for it. It is. It's the post-immigrant foreigner collective trauma. Because right. we saw our parents go through with it. We talked oh, yeah. about this. Like they were dealing with a very different set of problems that we didn't experience. We didn't, but 
it's still passed on. Why? It's still passed on. Feel obligated to make the best of all their sacrifices. So now we have 100%. 100%. Yeah. It is the immigrant fight. Okay. So you came from restaurants and you fought it on the street. You learned to create your community. How did this lead to you creating Boba Guys? That's a straightforward thing. I was in business school and I was in Shanghai. I was with my uncle and he took us out to ice cream and he lives in this area called Xinjiang, which is an expat area of Shanghai. And I was figuring out what I wanted to do. And I already knew I had an inkling that I wasn't always like a great corporate person because mm. I was too passionate and outspoken. And ever since I went to Berkeley and so from high school, college mm. on, I was always a little bit of already a leader. So I didn't mm. know that. I was type mm. A. Well, I asked him, I said, hey, Uncle Michael, I said, why is all these lines for Hagen dies? It was like Hagen dies, which is in America, it's like yeah, a generic. Yeah. But in yeah. Asia, there is this huge line in the Xintiandi, yeah. Hagen dies. And he goes, oh, they love ice cream out here. And I was like, oh, interesting. It's like American culture does that well. And I thought the mm. whole lactose intolerant dairy thing, you know, <laughs> yeah. all the stuff that, you know, America. Yeah, we deal with about. it. We just, we eat it anyway. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure there are, but it was like, there's no real allergies in China. <laughs> you just got a little puffy. Go take a nap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just suffer through it. Yeah. And so when I came back, I had a good friend. We worked at a company called Timbuktu together, my co-founder been. And I was like, Hey, what if we made something consumer culture? Cause we were thinking about startup ideas. And at the time blue bottle and Phil's coffee in the Bay area were really hot. This is 2010, 11. So we're like, what if we did an Asian blue bottle uh, an Asian Phil's coffee, which is like a higher end, but culture specialty beverages, which is what we call it now. And most of these drinks, we already said this back then, most of the drink trends were going to come from Asia anyways, all these interesting, you know why? Cause blue bottle at the time was getting popular, but it was Japanese style coffee. That drip coffee is all Japanese equipment. It's like, fascinating. I had no idea. Hipster Portland. But it's true though. Yeah. Like kombucha. Like Yeah, exactly. And turmeric. Matcha. Yeah. yeah. Matcha. Exactly. That was just coming out at the time. Yeah. So we're like, how come Asian people are not getting credit for it? But we're like, you want to make an Asian cafe? And we're like, mm. I don't know. But what if there was like a thing and we don't really drink, we get Asian flush. So we don't really drink mm. alcohol. And so my co-founder and I were like, why don't we drink boba all the time? We're like, why don't we do like a, probably switch out the ingredients because we're mm. getting older. My metabolism starting to suck. So I'm like, like maybe if I could change the sugar out, change mm -hmm. the milk to be more natural. At the time, people mm -hmm. used powder. So no shade, yeah. but it was just cheaper. And so what if we change out the milk, the syrup, and we showed everybody how to make it and story told a little bit differently mm -hmm. and made people proud. And so, but packaged it. And so that's how Boba Guys came to be. And at the mm -hmm. beginning, not everybody understood that. So they were like, oh, you're like whitewashed or you sold out. And I was like, mm -hmm. if you remember the early days of Boba Guys, to this day, right now we have a Tieguanying Boba. Mm -hmm. I make like all different cultures, but like white people say Tieguanying on the menu. I don't say yeah. it translates to Iron Goddess, if you don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But on the menu, we had a debate in the team. So no, we should call it Iron Goddess Oolong. I was like, no, I want to make Americans say Tieguanying if they can say Timothy Chalamet, I'm pretty sure they can say Tieguanying. So, so we, to this day, all our 20 plus stores have Tieguanying. We have Feng Isu, which is like pineapple cakes. So yeah. Taiwan number one. And then we did a Sapin Sapin, the Sapin Sapin drink, which is a Filipino dessert drink. That was because I grew up in Daly City, South San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And all my friends were either, actually I didn't have a lot of Chinese friends. My friends mm -hmm. were either Filipino or Mexican. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's why Boba Guys and my co-founder grew up in Texas and he mm -hmm. was pretty much around Latino people. So I know it doesn't look like it and they people want to put this model minority myth on us. I'm like, no, like I grew mm. up around a cultures that really made me feel welcome. Mm. Like, you know, culture, Mexican yeah. culture. Yeah. And I felt it's harder to do it because people want to say different things, but we try to be for a boba company. We try to be as inclusive as possible, which is really hard to do because it's already an ethnic drink. So we're yeah. trying to destigmatize kind of that. But if you're Taiwanese, you know this, the Taiwan was colonized by the Dutch, the Japanese. Oh, yeah. Chinese. yeah, absolutely. Taiwan doesn't have an identity because it was essentially westernized by the Dutch, yeah. the, the Japanese occupation came. Totally. Yeah, I still have like extended family who speak Japanese and their whole culture and education. My first grade, I still was doing it in Taiwan and the entire military style schooling culture was Japanese. Oh yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah. And this is such an interesting thing because there's such a cultural identity around boba, right? Boba is like the third generation Asian American drink yeah. because yeah. I, I didn't know this until I talked to Chinese friends in China. They're like, yeah, we don't really drink bubble tea as much. Yeah. I'm like, wait, what? It's amazing. It's the only thing that I drink, but it's the ultimate, right? It's a modernized version of essentially a classic Asian drink, which is tea. We drink tea. Everyone drinks tea. Of course. Yeah. You said it right. So I think it is like the third gen. It's the whole industry is converging, right? In America mm -hmm. and in China and Asia, because I go mm -hmm. back to Asia a lot. I'm actually mm -hmm. going to be in Asia in two weeks. And it's basically, we call it like specialty beverages or yeah. if you yeah. go to like a night market or like a street it's all it means mm -hmm. basically translated just broad beverages as a yeah. category you want to drink orange juice 
a little bit of a cap, a cider, like that's just all different beverages. So Starbucks is are basically becoming more like boba based mm. specialty drinks. And then in Asia, they're adopting more coffee culture. Mm. So you're converging the coffee cafe culture with kind of this broad beverage culture. Mm. And they are going to intersect. They have been, we've been arguing, mm. not arguing, but like it's the premise of our book. Future of specialty and beverages and cafes is basically boba because boba is generally broader than coffee because you can have a coffee boba and you can have a matcha boba. You can have mm -hmm. a passion fruit tea boba. You can have an OT, like a brown sugar milk boba like there's all these different styles boba is all encompassing it's a universal yeah boba swallows it all yeah <laughs> it's the grand unifier it is the great uniter it is rich uh, and poor it is rich and poor right well, without kidding you said it the tea is british technically and you know yeah. how this whole thing is about i can say this in this context and somebody's going to want to take this out of context in twitter but this is reverse colonization because basically tea culture became because the asians primarily china traded with the brits when back in the day and then they caused this opium war thing, right? And there was a trade imbalance and then they were trying to do something with it. And one of the kind of the traders, the ambassadors brought back and there was a milk tea culture, which was from Northern Asia, which is like Russian Mongolian. It's actually- Oh milk yeah, that's yeah. true. They did goat milk and stuff too, Yeah, right? exactly. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Most people don't know this. So they brought it back and then the British are like, the queen and print, the king is, oh, this is actually really good. Yeah. <laughs> we can make it British milk tea and call it like English breakfast. And then, yeah. And then it came that back- That became English breakfast. English breakfast milk tea, which is they had it for breakfast and right. the blend that they did, a black tea. Blend. Oh, yeah. And they controlled which India at the time, yeah. which is where a lot of English breakfast black tea is actually from India. Yeah. They're like Assam, Nilgiri, wow. um, Sri Lanka, Ceylon. So that was actually the base blends of English breakfast teas. And then the Chinese teas started getting big, but then the Hong Kong, which was a British colony, yeah. that became like a thing. Yeah. So they had like which is the classic. Yeah. 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 So Hong Kong style. Milk tea, for basically sure. colonization. Dude, I did not expect to get a history lesson on tea and colonization on this call, but I am so glad that I did. <laughs> Big Asian energy is very philosophical and very intellectual. Of course, um, because anytime you throw a couple of Asian people into a room to talk about stuff, they're going to make it super philosophical and intellectual, especially over tea. <laughs> you know what's funny? That's yeah. so funny you say that because we talked mm -hmm. before we jumped on this yeah. podcast. Like Westerners have this stereotype. If you're a Westerner or even Westernized listening to this, there's this idea that, oh, they don't talk about feelings. Feelings. They don't talk about philosophy or whatever. I'm like, no, we're talking about Confucianism. There's yeah. Qing, which is like these proverbs. Oh, I think my mom, she doesn't care about my feelings. I spill my heart out about starting a company, how everybody says I'm like a capitalist and they don't know what I do in the community, all this kind of stuff. I'm mad all the time. And my mom, she's like listening. And I think she's not listening to me. And she goes, mm. and I was like, oh, and then she goes, frog which, in a well. Which is, yeah, well, frog in a well, which is people who are. Not, they don't, see, they don't see. have perspective. They're ignorant. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's all she says. And then I'm like, I'm yeah. stopping crying. I'm like, okay, that's a, that's you're right. Mom needs to say that. Uh, that's like an Asian parent mic drop moment. That's 100%. That basically is. Four it's, characters and I'm done. Yeah. And then, and it's then she's like, back to uh, emptying out the peanut jar and uh, random nuts in there. Dude, does every Asian family have a peanut jar? I did not realize this, but I've always had one. And it's from like an old can of like old cucumbers. Is well, it? I swear to God, last night I went to see my parents. This is, I can't even make this up. My mom made the pickled, like spicy Taiwanese cucumbers. Yeah, she yeah. Knows that's my favorite thing, but Same. it's in a jar that was an old nut jar. I swear, <laughs> it just came out of it. She just, she's yeah. like, hey, it's like, Andrew, like yeah. I made this for you. And I was like, oh, it, it was, yeah. I, I don't know. We, it's a we, we might have the same mom or at some point. There's definitely something that's going on. It's like the drawer with all the old plastic bags. I saw- Oh yeah, they have that too. And then, of, course, of course they have the whole people, it's a memes now, but like the whole cookie, the cookie tin with the sewing oh, kit. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, my grandma had one. What the hell? I don't even know where to find those cookie tins anymore. I've never seen them, but every family has one. Yeah, only Christmas time do I see something similar or yeah. Walgreens maybe like these yeah, yeah, like yeah. butter. Like, Classic. It was before WhatsApp group. We chatted WhatsApp groups. So I have no idea yeah. how they all coordinated this. Yeah, it's an international conspiracy. So I want to talk, you brought up a good word, which is perspective, right? And it sounded like when you first started, there was some pushback. And I think that's always a tough thing, right? Because one, I feel like if you're an Asian American and you're trying to create a brand or trying to create a business of some sort, there's always going to be some scrutiny around it. And it's a little bit different. I feel like my white friends don't quite understand this like they think they do but it's not quite the same thing what was your experience with that my experience is having asian parents <laughs> nothing you do is right it's you, never good nothing enough. you do to please them yeah, so people yeah. are like you can you handle back in the day it was like yelp reviews oh andrew you take the yelp reviews so much or i'm like yeah it's annoying yeah. but i'm like that's no different than my parents criticizing yeah. you know me this is a true story 
My mom, she goes to our grand opening in one of our stores. She goes to our grand opening. She sits in the back. She goes, oh, I'm Andrew's mom. I'm Andrew's mom. But she also, afterwards, I see her for dinner. Yeah. And I said, thanks for coming out, mom. My mom goes, oh, I don't know. Wait some money. She's why is that slow? Why is it so slow? There's this process we had with these slow drip things. And she goes, what the hunchola? I waited so long. That's the whole point. Slow bar. Yeah, yeah, slow bar. We yeah. called it the name of the method we did was called slow bar. Boba guys, we started yeah, out yeah. as slow bar. It went viral back then. Yeah. And my mom was getting mad at why slow bar was slow. This is like mindfulness before mindfulness. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I am waiting five minutes for it. May brewed in real time milk yeah. tea. That's yeah. this artisanal shit. She basically scolded me at dinner. No. So like, money. If you did it in batches <laughs> at the grand opening of the visit dude. after the grand opening, swear to God, I was like, okay, thanks for the feedback. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you're wondering now why we batch our teas, which are still made the day of, yeah. it's because my mom basically scolded me at dinner the night There's of our- a complex PTSD in every drop of tea that's being made. <laughs> it, <laughs> is, it is. No, it is. It is. I actually can't even think it's a joke because it's too real. <laughs> I promise it's not a plug, but I'm working on a book called big Asian energy right now. Uh -huh. And it's talks about the seven patterns that I see so often in working with Asian Americans. I've worked with Asian Americans as a coach. And one of the things that we talk about is like the achievers, right? The pattern is whatever it is you do, you got to do more, like whatever it is. And I trace this back for myself to that exact thing. It's like, no matter what report card I brought back, no matter what report card, the only thing that will ever get mentioned is what is the percentage missing? So I will bring back like a 92%. And the question is always what happened to the 8%? I know your cousin had that a hundred percent. Why? Why didn't you get a hundred percent? Let me ask you some questions. Sorry yeah. if I do this a little bit. Let's do it. So you then, it seems like you erred on the side. You were the quote unquote, what people would call it, the overachiever model minority, right? So yeah. did you have anybody in your family that, did you have a sibling that was like, not that? So actually in my family, like my sister, like she was in those seven archetypes. She is like the rebel and commander. She was achieving more stuff, but she also just had this whole thing where there was a lot of pushback with my parents. That's her way of dealing with that kind of pressure. I still remember a story. I hope hope it's okay that I share this. And if not, I'm just going to have to talk to her about it. But she got mad because my mom wouldn't knock on her door before going in. She's like barge in, right? All the oh, time. Yeah. There's just no concept of privacy. She just barges in. And my sister got so mad. And she was just like, look, what if I'm changing in here? I deserve my privacy. And she'll push back. And then so for, I show you not, for a week, she protested by stripping naked and walking around the house. It made my dad so uncomfortable. He would hide in his office literally the entire time. Oh no. But that was her way. So I was actually more of the chameleon and the caretaker of the family. But I definitely had that achiever like pattern when I was growing up. It's like nothing's ever good enough, man. That inner critic gets loud. Your sister might be listening. So your sister <laughs> probably is super amazing. Turned out well. I was more the screw up of the family for sure. Yeah. No, and you know what though? I would say maybe your sister had big Asian energy already. So she Oh yeah, she did. That's like smart energy. That's like intellectual. Oh, my mom's <laughs> wants to like fuck with my brain. I yeah. could do that one better. Yeah. So I think she was early, you know. She, she, she was the early big Asian energy for sure. Shout to your sister. Yeah, yeah, man. So where do you see this? Because you're really, again, I know you don't want to name drop, so I'm going to name drop for you. Because in our conversations, you talk about the community that is there in LA and in San Fran. I think the last time we we're chatting about it, you were talking about you've been there and you saw the growth of so many different people like Sherry Cola. You saw Nora, the growth of that overall community. So I'm really curious, including Simu. I know you guys are quite close, right? You said that you guys were crashed at your place back in the day. Oh, back in the day when he was star starving art. People won't believe that about him. But yeah, he was very humble beginnings for him, for sure. Yeah, for sure. He was from Toronto, but he was like, he had big dreams. Mm -hmm. So my question really is, from what you witness in your own stories and the story of so many people around you, what are the differences in the people who end up going to create these kind of businesses like Momofuku or the Sherry Colas, the Noras, and these kind of people? Like, what's the difference in the way that they act compared to this depiction of shy Asians that we dealt with for so long? Yeah. I think two ways. One is they somehow figured out the formula of culture. I think all of them, this is not, hopefully it's a credit to all the people, almost everyone that people think right now in those Asian diaspora zeitgeist, they are almost all brilliant in the way they see culture. Not get enough credit for kind of be able to see it. I know people have different opinions about people who are like public eye and everything, but he, they understand it and they know where the positioning is. Jerry, same thing. Mm -hmm. Eddie Huang, like Daga, mm -hmm. Big Bro, Eddie Huang, David Chang. That's why they have mm -hmm. podcasts. 
and they do so well because they yeah. have a point of view of how they could see where the diaspora is going and what's needed and where does that diaspora and the narrative fit in the greater narrative of Western culture or mm -hmm. global culture. Because mm -hmm. there's nuances of Asians in Asia don't give a shit about the Asians and Western culture. That's another no. subtlety. Yeah. Africans versus African-Americans. Yeah, exactly. Totally different yeah. ways. I hear that. Yeah. A lot of my black friends say my Nigerian friends, some of my best friends are from Nigeria and mm. bond over immigrant moms because they get it. Yeah. They get it. It's very similar, actually. People don't yeah. even know close are the Nigerian moms at least I could speak to that that I know like a handful of them and then like Asian moms I'm like wow they're really similar and yeah in the black experience and I don't want to speak for that community but I can see similarities in the different cultures I would say it's the cultural competency that a lot of them all have and the second part is they are very gritty and the work ethic is just really next level oh yeah I don't think people give them credit for it people grind no. it out watching again it's not to oh my cool friends it's just I'm from California and in the East Coast. My stores are SF, New York, LA. Mm -hmm. So when As Boba Guys was popping off, I saw early day comedians from yeah. San Francisco, from LA, mm -hmm. from Australia, that when they came here, they didn't really know anything, but they liked Boba. Mm -hmm. And we had similar hours. Everybody has like weird after work, like night owl hours, similar creative energy, but the energy was this energy of grittiness. It was like, here's my take on it. And it's mm -hmm. almost, you don't know how to take no for an answer. Yeah. And I think that's what bonds a lot of them together. And I, the only mm -hmm. reason why I do sharing about this is because if you're listening, there needs to be the next gen. Mm -hmm. And I see them and I hope somebody listening will be like, hey, oh, I'm inspired by that and I want to be next. And my true identity is I think I've always been like a coach or a leader ever mm -hmm. since I was young. I'm like the eldest grandchild and son on both sides. So then a lot of that kind of like leader energy, not saying I'm a leader, but it just always been my but identity. You are a leader, dude. <laughs> well, I don't want to say that, but my I'll say it for you. <laughs> but as a leader, as a non-self-identifying leader is that you just want the next generation to show up and be better. That's it, yeah. Yeah. And that's why I really hope that they're listening to you. That's why I love your podcast. I think when you hit me up, I was like, oh, shoot, your content is amazing. That's the leader energy. And we need oh, to create somebody listening right now, the next version of the next, hopefully seeing the next mm -hmm. Aquafina Nora, the next yeah. Sherry, the next mm -hmm. Ashley Park. People don't know their backgrounds. All of them are like, what was it? Ashley was in musicals. I heard that she was doing musicals. Like the Asian girl in Mean Girls. I was like, mm -hmm. who? Because I used to be a big Hamilton fan. Mm -hmm. So same generation. I was like, not many Asians in Broadway. Yeah. So now she's huge. Back yeah. then, she didn't have an Asian community because mm -hmm. that wasn't where the diaspora was looking. So I, I totally think content like this, what you do, plus the content that a lot of the ones we just named, they're building a huge movement. And then I, think, I have to say this is not everyone is for everyone. I'm not for everyone. Some people, I know people say, you know, well, he's a capitalist or I'm not even a capitalist, by the way. I mm -hmm. actually am closer to a socialist, mm -hmm. but they're like, oh, he's a capitalist because he's a CEO or this artist always says the wrong thing on the media. And like everybody has their own path. There's more than enough to go around. Mm -hmm. Not everyone's going to cover everything. So they're like, oh, that movie that didn't speak mm -hmm. to me. I'm like, well, should it? Not every movie, Crazy no. Rich, speaks to everyone. Everything, yeah. everywhere, all at once. Parasite does mm -hmm. not speak for everyone. Mm -hmm. Goal is to create a whole multitude and a spectrum of content that mm -hmm. starts speaking to everyone. It is not just mm -hmm. the Asian world. This is immigrant. No. This is everyone. Yeah. People of color, yeah. women. Not yeah. every movie that's like Little Women didn't speak to totally. all women. Of course not. Barbie's for everyone. I think Barbie is great. Yeah. That's actually my favorite movie, though. So, sorry. I, I, that's my mini, that's a TED Talk moment I had. So, I dude, no, no, that was perfect. That We're going to put that into a snippet and that's going to go on all the socials for sure. But that, that's exactly the message right? There is a new upcoming generation. So we look back, I was just talking to a guy, he runs the Asian American film school, and oh. I got a like a film history lesson. I did not realize how rich Asian American history in film was, but that's like huge. And I'm starting to see there are so many different generations. And we're seeing this new era in the past three years really starting to peak. And it's exactly as you say, I think people don't realize the 10 years of work that goes into the overnight successes. We hear these stories of, oh, there's so many of these movies and stars trending, but the amount of work that it went into it is huge. Yeah. I'm just going to keep this to a simple thing, which is what would your some of your advice be to this new generation of Asian Americans who want to crack the ceiling and go to the next level? Have a good community around them. The one thing mm. that the big Asian energy has on our side too is most of us come from a cultural philosophy of collectivism. Yeah. So have in that respect. way, you have a community. Now, mm -hmm. in America, we think about individualism, which is more about one person is going to win or be standing out versus the group. Whereas a collectivist mentality is the whole group wins. I do think whole group wins when the high tides raise all boats. And so like when people will say post Crazy Rich Asians, people always talk about that moment. It proved that, that kind of stuff could sell. Yeah. And it wasn't because just 
Henry Golding or just Aquafina or just Constance mm-hmm. blew up. Oh, Constance was already big, but Henry blew up yeah. from that. Mm-hmm. Aquafina blew up. And what it did do was it created a set of opportunities. And if we continue to have that mm. and not complain, you can complain, but not overly complain about this movie didn't do its job in representing this culture. What I would say, take that energy and say, you know what? You're right. This movie, this song, this artist, Boba Guys didn't do this part well. I want to beat that or I want to add to that. Kind of That's a collectivist energy technically yeah. because that's saying I can contribute my, mm-hmm. ch- my sentence in a greater song or a greater structure, but I am lifting and then being inspired by the already existing work. And so that kind of energy is... I think the right kind of energy and what people don't really know. And you alluded to this in the past is that a lot of us came out, especially ones in California, New York, out of the same scene. Mm-hmm. A lot of us knew each other because we partied together. We would go to each other's events like collaboration, shouts out to collaboration mm-hmm. or ISA, Wang Fu, mm-hmm. they built mm-hmm. and Dan Matthews and, and Far East Movement. They pulled everybody together. So when people were landing shows like America's Best Dance Crew, doing showcases on collaboration and singing and rapping, and Aquafina was more of a music artist in the beginning mm-hmm. that and dumbfounded shouts that he's a legend and mm-hmm. when all that actually happened people even if you weren't best friends you knew each other and so when mm-hmm. they popped off mm-hmm. you brought people up people who would yeah. open for another person or mm-hmm. hey i need a guest speaker for this book and this author i'm an author so i get asked to be a moderator because i know what it's like to write a book with mm-hmm. a big publisher so mm-hmm. i get to interview really cool authors because there are not many asian american authors so that is this larger symbiotic a little slower moving her I do think is what is creating this wave, which is why Mm -hmm. I think it's sustained for Mm -hmm. so long now. We have a really good run. I I see this going continuously. It's going to turn into a tsunami. And I think that, yeah. Yeah. I think that where we're seeing is there's always going to be an equal and opposite reaction. What we saw during the pandemic with anti-Asian hate, I think that lit a fire up in a lot of people. Mm. I think when I started talking about this, it was sudden, like it was responded to very positively, I think, because people were like, yeah, actually, yeah, why have we been so quiet? So my story was I was watching this video. I don't know if you remember, there was this video that went viral in Philadelphia where a group of like Asian kids were being bullied and attacked on a train. Oh, yeah, I remember that for sure. And it was so sad, right? Like it was, this was a time where Asian grandpas were getting hit in the head. And I remember watching that video and I remember feeling two things. One, I was so sad for those two, like those three kids who were there and the girl who stood up and then got beat down because she stood up for who she saw was victims. I remember, yeah. And got angry. And that is, as a perpetual nice guy, anger is not a feeling that I access very often, but I had that, you know, you're talking about like that guhuozai moment. You don't fuck with my people. Like that, that came up for me. Yeah. And I think that for me is probably felt by a lot of other people who went, you know what? I think it's time. I think it's time we spoke up. I think it's time we stepped up and I think it's time we opened up. Yeah. Now, similar, I think that's how you ended up with a platform like this, right? Like I think, and a lot of people don't know what to do. And look, you took that into, and you made it into action, which is, I also respect anybody who basically created something from nothing. It's and, called, I have no idea what I'm doing, so I don't no, know. Oh, you got a book deal <laughs> and you, you have this. I'm pretty sure you got something, you caught on to something. But I do think I would encourage, I don't know how much time we have left, but I would encourage like in final set of final thoughts is that I think the protective energy, what you're talking about is just an extension of our collectivism because you yeah. don't know the people in Philadelphia mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the elder Vicha Rashmanapakti in San Francisco. Or the one who was beat in New York. There's all these people. And of course, the started a lot of it was the Vincent Chin stuff decades ago. Yeah. Is that people didn't even know, even Asians didn't know who Vincent Chin was. I think what the collectivist kind of big Asian energy, if there's one thing that is good that come out of it, is that these things stirred up a sentiment that had always been latent, but Mm -hmm. it also then relies, the the way out of this relies on an energy that is actually going to play to our strengths. Mm -hmm. Because I think if you just say, if you just yell and be like, oh, don't beat these people up or whatever. I actually don't think that actually is why people are hurting each other. Mm-hmm. I do believe it's not justifying anything, but I just think these things are happening because they're part of larger generational stigma. I'll say this from my personal experience where I've talked not so openly, but I feel like this is a quote unquote safe space for me to say this. <laughs> yeah, I, of course. I've had death threats mm-hmm. and I've had people also say very many times, mm-hmm. what does Andrew know about oppression? Yeah. What is he? Basically, they're mm-hmm. saying I'm white adjacent and yeah. I've been already called that. And you're not a minority. I remember there was this article on ESPN Ooh. and it was talking about Watt Masaka or something, the first person of color in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And on it, people were like, he was the Japanese guy. He's like, a Japanese guy, person of color? Yeah. And then it was literally the comment thread. And I was just thinking, whoa. 
I'm not here. There's so much trauma across all different minority groups and marginalized groups, yeah. women, LGBTQ, yeah. ableism, like indigenous. Yes, that yeah. everybody, but the discount, like people of color, people yeah. in the other people in the margins, that is not helping. Yeah. And to me, that definitely woke me up when I was mm. like, oh, so you think they're not in the margins? Because you think I'm mm -hmm. not in the margins. Because I actually just got a death threat and you say that I don't even know anything Damn. about oppression. So Damn. what does that actually mean for people who don't have a voice, who mm -hmm. don't feel like somebody's fighting for them and mm -hmm. feel in many cases, my dad, he actually said this because I didn't even know he felt this way. He felt hopeless. He said to me, he lives in the Bay Area. He yeah. feels scared to go into San Francisco, not because he's old or because he's Asian or because he's targeted. He goes, I'm scared because before I felt like people would actually look up to older people mm -hmm. or that I would actually have respect because in his world, the piety, respect yeah. of elders is a thing. Huge. Yeah. In Asian cultures. Yeah. He just now knows he basically, that's gone. Yeah. And so he goes, I said, but you can go to Chinatown and no one's going to do this. No, Chinatown, they still beat people up in Chinatown. And I'm like, it's not that often. And I'm trying not to scare him. And then he just done. He's done. Yeah. My dad almost never goes to Chinatown ever. The last time he went oh. to Chinatown was because I looped them into this Father's Day shoot. That was the last time before that, he didn't go to Chinatown for two and a half years. Yeah. And he lives 20 minutes, 25 minutes away. Mm -hmm. And so that will tell you that sentiment did not exist 30 years ago. No. So that kind of fear that kind of caution. I wonder if my dad's, I regret coming to America. I mm. bet before people were like, oh, America's great. We're going to pick ourselves up. We're going to make yeah. this together. Yeah, I bet you a lot of immigrants now are thinking, you're like, man, I'm going to go back. Yeah. <laughs> this is not worth it. Yeah. I might be in a war, but I don't know. I can't even send my kids to school without being feared yeah. that their safety. I think that's so tough. I agree. I think a lot of times, even when we we're talking last time, you said something like big Asian energy, even just the words out there, that's going to trigger some people. Yeah. And, and I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. Right. Yeah. And I thought about that a lot. I'm like, when I even had talks about with, with my publisher and they were just like, yeah, like this, it's even the title without people knowing anything about it, they'll make all sorts of assumptions and they'll project on it. To me, I'm like, I think the solution here is people stepping into their own selves unapologetically. And I think the more we see, the more we recognize, the more we hear the stories in those kind of vulnerability, the moments, the true humanity of it, that's where we could stop the sense of division. That's where the projections and the hatred and the anger dissipates. Because once you know somebody, it's hard to, like, we've seen studies around this. Once you know somebody yeah, exactly. of a race, it's hard to become racist against that person because you're like, I know you now. I know your story. I know your background. So these are the stories. That's why I think it's important. I actually wouldn't want you to change your podcast name or your book or anything because, I mean, first of all, it's going to attract attention, which is what you want. But then I'll give you then a, hopefully, if they're listening, an opportunity to introduce the nuance and subtlety where yeah. I think who does it, who has big energy that I love because she has a song called it. Yeah. Liz, you know, oh, she's one of my favorite artists because her energy is super positive and vibrant. <laughs> And what she would say about her music is just, I just want people to feel proud, very body positive and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And yeah. there's other aspects to her identity too that she talks about, but I think it's big energy, but it's, it's, big a, energy. it's a constructive energy. So yeah. I think if it's like a big energy, but like a Lizzo constructive yeah. and positive, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. So yeah, man, straight from the words of Andrew here, step into <laughs> your big energy, whatever that looks like, big Asian energy, big immigrant energy, big you energy, just owning it, stepping it up and fully open about it. Dude, thank you so much. You just got off a plane and we just chatted for like a straight hour and I don't know however long. Thank oh, you. Oh yeah. And my coffee kicked in. So if I started speaking faster than normal, <laughs> that all the caffeine that rushed. Yeah. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. How do people find out more about you and all the stuff that you do? Obviously go check out Boba Guys and the stores and yeah, all that. Yeah, follow my personal stuff because I talk more about the leadership and small business. If you're an entrepreneur, small business owner, like a lot of people follow my personal Instagram. That's mm. Chow Million. So I actually, that was my AIM screen name. Everybody <laughs> knows me from high school will tell oh you that. God. So my <laughs> AIM screen name was Chow Million. It's a Chow, my last name, C-H-A-U, yeah. Chameleon, but Chow. Yeah. And then uh, actually you said it earlier. It's because I've always been Asian, but that's the only aspect of my identity. I'm also like a nerd, but I also played a lot of sports. So I could always be between a nerd and a jock. When I'm in America, I'm very Americanized. But when I spend like a month in Asia, like I don't have to speak English for a whole month. So I think, well, anyways, that's the content I like doing. And then uh, yeah, thanks for your time. And anybody who put up through an hour of us, just uh, <laughs> that's a lot of energy. To expend. Thanks, brother. So appreciate it. Go check out Andrew's stuff. And I hope to have you back down the road eventually when we have multiple seasons down the road, brother. No, I can't wait. I love long form content because it allows people to be more yeah, that's it. nuanced and deep. Yeah. So it's all super awesome. Thanks, brother. I really appreciate it.
As Asian Americans, we are as strong as our collective community. So if there's something that you found valuable in this episode, share it with a friend and tag us on social media. And if you like the show, leave us a review and send a screenshot and you might win some big Asian energy merch, which we give out every month. So you can go out there and own your big Asian energy.